Marianne Snow. I really, really enjoyed talking to Marianne. Uh, we're kind of kindred spirits, small to medium sized businesses. You know, the pandemic has forced remote workplace, virtual workplace setting where people are working from home away from the office. How do you do that? How do you be a better leader? How do you achieve better business continuity, better uh, goal setting, and what success looks like? Very fascinating. She's dedicated, she's uh, her business. Uh, her her profession to helping leaders and businesses work better. When challenged, oftentimes, you know, business leaders will say, you know, we want staff in because we, they want to mentor or they come up with some excuses like that. And, you know, oftentimes we find that mentoring wasn't done before and there's many reasons why um, you know, employees, not, it doesn't work for everyone. Not all, all employees like to work remotely, but certainly many do and work better that way and have to be led in a certain way. Uh, so very, very fascinating, great discussion with Marianne Snow and her, her firm on, uh, on remote workplace, how she values and looks at discipline through leadership, through herself and the leaders, the leaders that she leads and coaches is a interesting discussion as well. You're going to enjoy this. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Joey Pins. People ask me, how did I lose 130 pounds? The quick answer is always discipline. I started my business, wasn't paying attention to my health, was eating too much, you know, drinking too much sweets. My daughter was born. Next thing I know, I'm pre-diabetic, I have hypertension. I knew something had to change. Discipline. I, like many of you, have faced many challenges in your career, in your family, in your life, in your faith. How did you attack them? How did you approach them? How did you solve them, hopefully? It all had to have some degree of discipline. I'm also asked, how did you found and start a tech business that lasted over 25 years? Discipline. I was committed to it, enjoyed technology, didn't enjoy some aspects of it, but knew it was necessary. Discipline. Our podcast mission, how do we use discipline to better ourselves and society? Join me, please, as I talk to interesting people and discuss how they use discipline in their family and their passion and their careers and how it helped them. Our podcast vision, growth through learning from others. Joey Pins Discipline Conversations. It'll be light and serious. Join us, please. Thank you for consideration. Excited, Mary Ann Snow. Thank you so much for doing this. Has the pandemic helped or hurt virtual office remote working? Well, you, you know what, Joe, I think um, probably the biggest thing with the pandemic is the pandemic was a proof of concept that people are much more adaptable to being able to work in a remote or distributed team setting than um, the, the average office worker might have assumed previous. And yet, uh, ironically for us, I've been engaged in remote work and distributed work since the 1990s before the technology was was as good as it is today. And um, I think what was really interesting about the pandemic was previous to the pandemic, the assumption, the, the general um, public's assumption was 
well, if you're not at the office, you're not working. And yet, if you worked for a large corporation or, or you were working in the global economy, the likelihood that you were working with colleagues or clients um, or someone um, uh, who was sitting in another location was extremely big, mm. right? Because conference calls... Uh, different types of um, uh, collaborations that required multidiscipline teams. They didn't sit in the same places. But um, those of us who were doing that kind of work got dismissed. Um, and we got dismissed as lesser professionals because if we were out of sight, we were out of mind, even though we were getting things done. Proof of concept for COVID was suddenly you had a, a, a global workplace that was um, shifting to a new model out of necessity, people kept things running. They kept things, they produced things differently, but quite frankly, they did an unbelievable job whenever remote was possible. And they did it on the fly, right? They did it practically overnight. And um, uh, for those of us who have been doing this for a long time, we said, that is not a surprising factor. And for people who had never done it before, guess what? There's a whole bunch of folks who are now saying, why would I go back to the office? Why would I commute? Why would I spend time? Why would I waste that portion of my life? And going to the office maybe once a week or twice a week, a couple times a week, that's fine. But I can do a meeting in other ways, we already proved that. And if you trusted me during the pandemic, why wouldn't you trust me now? Because I was successful when there was no childcare, when schools were out, when going to the grocery store was hard and, and I made it work. And now I have all these social supports back and, and if you tell me I can't work from home, then now you're saying to me that I'm distrusted as an employee and that's kind of insulting which is mm. why a lot of people are kind of grumpy right now yeah you mentioned in the 70s that you started this i mean i'm in technology and you know it was a proof of, proof of concept for the technology as well can you imagine if the pandemic happened in the 70s or the 80s when all these you know what we're doing now and you know Teams and Zoom and other other those technologies weren't as mature as they are now. There would have been a an economic collapse. Yeah, and um, and my career as a as a remote person really started in the nineties. Um, but um, uh, it started in the nineties. But I, I will tell you, there have always been people who have worked remotely, mm -hmm. but they did it differently. They did it via um, uh, they did it by mm -hmm. phone, and before that. Um, uh, they did it by letter, you know, um, uh, and it just, you know, the timing was just different. In the 90s, when we first got started, when I had uh, a global, you know, I wasn't working globally at that point um, until a bit, little bit later, but when I was working nationally, when we had to send out information to a national workforce, I went to a, a video studio, I taped the message onto a VHS. They made copies. This is when I was in my twenties, you know, and they made copies. And then we took them, we put them in envelopes, 
carted them to the to the post office and sent them out to people. Or we sent them out um, uh, in inter-office mail, which went out to the post office and, and was delivered to people. So, uh, you know, imagine we, in the two, early 2000s, I worked in international financial services. And at that point, I was running a global team. And um, we had different types of budgets. And... I was um, connecting with people via video conferencing when the only video conferencing option was Skype. Mm. So we've been doing this for a really long time. And um, all of the work that we do now with the Remote Nation Institute and also with our um, consulting company, Sophia, are about helping organizations set up operating models that can accommodate this kind of work. And um, and then at the Institute, we teach the skills needed to make sure that folks can be successful in these environments. Yeah, you have great content on your site about, uh, you know, tips about remote working with this, with your remote you know, R&I, the Nation Institute. And um, when is it, other than when it's mandatory that you have to be customer facing, in other words, you know, food service or any of these things, we have to interact with people. Is it ever a bad case where remote workplace shouldn't be initiated and, and worked with? Well, I think that, um, you know, remote work is not for everyone. And there are going to be businesses where um, face-to-face is actually a business differentiator. But I can actually take you to places in the world right now that are, um, and I think what's happening is staffing is driving this, overhead expenses are driving this, where um, uh, you and COVID had an impact on this, where you can actually go to a restaurant and you're not going to talk to a human being in person, but you're going to talk to a screen. Um, People are doing this in receptionists. We've actually had conversations with healthcare organizations and other organizations where receptionists could actually be interacting um, with folks on a screen. Um, uh, And, now it's just a question of delivering great customer service, but you're going to deliver great customer service through a different mechanism. Um, and uh, it's really, uh, you know, um, there are people who are who are doing surgery remotely through robotic uh, operations um, uh, and and telemedicine which was invented by NASA many, many years ago, as soon as we started putting astronauts into space, we had to think about how we were going to take care of them in the event something happened, right? So so I, I think it's not a question of, are there um, jobs that can't be done remotely at this particular moment in time? Of course, um, that's the case. Are people looking at um, interesting ways to get things done differently? And is technology changing things? Well, anybody who knows anything about the Internet of Things and how your refrigerator can talk to you now, you know, um, knows that um, there's a big shift. And whether we're talking about autonomous vehicles, whether we're talking about robotic options, um, you know, and I think there will always be companies that um, can push themselves further. But I also think that there will always be companies who 
whatever the trend is, we'll try and look for a differentiator. And so I, I believe that there will be a point in time where face-to-face -face, um, may actually be quaint and um, it may be something that is really about, I'm going to do this and make a choice to do this because I, I think it will give me market advantage. Mm. So I mentioned before, I, I'm in tech and, you know, I have meetings all day long and seldom are my counterpart, you know, in an office. They're generally at home. But I have found that our events that we have, you know, I don't know how many we have a year, 50, 30, whatever it may be, are just kind of exploding with people. And, you know, it's the opportunity to try to get in front of people. And there's everybody's really I remember one of the first ones after the pandemic is like if you had a red wristband, it meant that you didn't want to shake hands. You know, you didn't want to fist bump. And if you had green, it mean, meant that you did. And I didn't see anybody with red. You know, everybody was like, you know, just couldn't wait to see each other. But that's the exception because this is an annual event. You know, there's once a month. It's not the workday place where people have to commute in uh, all the time. And at those events, I just see more business getting done and just people are happy to see each other. So that's not really a part of remote workplace. It's more of the pandemic, wouldn't you say? Yeah, and I think um, this kind of speaks to a multi-channel world, right? Um, and and the difference of multi-channel communications and how we interact as humans. And I think this is an important consideration because um, uh, this is not going to stop. Face-to-face um, -face will always have a place in the world, but um, I think we can't over-romanticize face-to-face get-togethers any more than we can romanticize uh, office time. I think we have to acknowledge that um, you and I have been in our careers to plenty of conferences that were less than effective in many ways. And um, people went there because they knew they had to go there, just like they go um, to networking events. But that doesn't mean you're effective. It doesn't mean you've actually conducted business in any meaningful way. It, it just means that you checked a box, right? Just like if you show up in an office, people can people can slack in an office just like they can slack at home. And it is the people who are slacking in an office who may be more likely to slack at home. But, um, you know, going back to the core topic of your podcast discipline, remote professionals act with discipline. We have objectives, we have deadlines, we have obligations, we have job requirements. And I think what's really important here is, is you know, two, two plus years in a pandemic when everybody gets together, of course, it's going to feel mm. good because we've been just let out of, um, you know, prison, right? <laughs> we've just been let out of, of our confinement. But if you um, see what's happening when people are going back to the office, they like it the first day and now they're saying, that was great. Nice to see you. I want to go back home because I want to get work done. Because they, um, you know, two and a half years in, people set up work, work routines for themselves. Um, and so I think now the question is, are you mindful? Are you actually using your FaceTime with discipline, right? And are you um, utilizing it as just one more option in your tool shed 
you know, toolbox for how you're going to do business effectively. Because um, I will tell you that there are a lot of clients who are going to say to you, I don't want to go to lunch. Let's just do a Zoom meeting because, you know, um, I don't know, maybe to your point, maybe they don't want to fist bump Mm. or maybe they don't want to go out yet for some reason. Or um, uh, maybe they've just got big deadlines. And so we're just going to have to figure out how to network differently how to communicate differently and appreciate generationally. We are in a generation now coming into the workforce that has a different relationship to technology because we are now um, bringing people into the office who have never known a time without a smartphone, not just a cell phone, a smartphone, Um, who have never not known a time period to, t- to keep in touch with grandparents and parents and all of this sort of thing um, uh, without some sort of technical solution that allows them to connect easily and cost effectively with relatives, friends, and all of that sort of stuff. So, um, you know, we're about to be in a new age and um, the pandemic was just long enough that it really, really changed behaviors. And what happens next, I think, remains to be written. Mm. Both of my daughters are in college. They've never heard a dial tone before. I had an intern last summer. And let me just tell you, um, she was virtual. I've never met her in person. I asked her once if she had ever been to the post office and um, Joe, here's what she said to me. She said, when I was in sixth grade, my teacher um, had us do a special project. And I said, oh, do tell. And um, uh, she said, she had us write a, a letter to ourselves, put it in an envelope and address it. And then we took it to the post office. We did a field trip to the post office, but I don't think I did it right. Cause I never got my letter. Yeah. Very different. Very different. Very not different. better, not worse, just different. Yeah. Um I yeah. often ask yeah. my daughter, I said, Did you talk to your sister? She goes, Oh yeah, yeah, I talked to her today and yesterday. And I said, No, no, no. The way we're talking now, see how the words are going. She goes, Oh, oh no, 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 I didn't do that. We just text. So it's just it's just it's just different. They just have a different way of of communicating. I happened to be in New York City last week at a uh, well, I'll just say it. I was at the Amazon offices and they have, you know, no dedicated workspaces. They just have open workspaces. So if you want to work home, you work home. If you want to come in, you just whatever workspace you can take there, you just kind of take and you work for the day there. This seems to be the trend. Well, um you know, I was on a panel uh, and it was an international conversation about what the workplace of the future is going to look like and how it will impact everything from downtowns to um, uh, it's actually impacting how homes are going to be designed. Living spaces are going to be designed in the future because remember, connectivity is going to be a a priority for everyone. And so when you're thinking about things like the current administration, looking at infrastructure, we're not just talking about highways and bridges anymore. We're talking about electronic charging stations for different types of vehicles, but we're also talking about uh, broadband infrastructure, 
places like South Korea, which have invested in their infrastructure, they have one of the most sophisticated technical infrastructure in the world, has um, also really been kind of a living lab for what that means because, you know, they've been dealing with social issues like, you know, too much screen time for kids and what does that mean, right? Um, and so I think um, there is a global conversation happening at the moment that is really related to what happens next. And there's a big disconnect because very often the conversation that we're having right now is with senior leaders who are convinced that they have to get people back to the office and now the question is why? And when you ask them why, part of this is, you know, it's a litany of, um, you know, the top 10, right? Um, the first is, oh, uh, younger people need my mentorship. And, and so then we dig into that and I say, so you're telling me right now before the pandemic that you are actively engaged with meaningful mentorship that was set up with objectives and cool. and you were allowing um, uh, young people into meetings that they can now go to in a, a virtual setting because if you could bring anybody into a virtual setting, you know, and you were actively doing that with every one of your young people who were coming into your company. And, you know, there's there's a certain quiet to that, right? Well, how do we know people are working? And, and then we have a conversation about how did you know they were working during the pandemic? And how did you know that they were working before the pandemic? Right. And so um, if, if your benchmark is I can see you, then now... I want to um, I want to understand what your productivity was before the pandemic and what your productivity was during the pandemic. Did it go up? Did it go down? And if it went up during the pandemic, then why would you go back to the office when the empirical data is telling you, the business data is telling you that your people actually got more done? And they just got done th differently. And then we just go down the list, right? It's like, and this is really important because, um, you know, people were distributed. People were dispersed. People were working from, you know, the road. Because if you were in sales, you were working on the road. You weren't in the office. You were outside the office. Uh, people were working when they did business travel, people were doing conference calls. So people were engaging in some sort of remote or distributed teamwork before COVID, but COVID was a watershed moment. The technology is different. The generations are different. The orientation towards work is different. We're, we're in, a, in a position where the price of gas is different. You know, there's a, you know, public transport is I would argue um, an aging infrastructure that can be a little unreliable at times. So, you know, there's lots and lots and lots of reasons why people have legitimate, a legitimate beef with going back to a nine to five structure that's Monday through Friday. Um, when, um, I, I mean, you're in Hartford, I'm um, in Providence. Providence on a on a good day from here to Boston is 50 minutes, but it's never a good mm. day. 
And what do you do um, if you live outside the city and going even eight to 10 miles is going to take you an hour and a half or more? People's tolerance level for those things has changed quite a bit. So there's just been a big shift. A huge shift. I, I like your your point about leadership. And I, I don't know, I'm just going to say it. I think, you know, because you hear, you know, you read, you read, you hear about some CEOs want their people back in the back in the office and then it kind of leans back and forth. And, uh, you know, you know, it's just, I don't, there's just a little bit of ego there. Maybe I, I don't, you know, I'm not quite sure what the stumbling blocks are. I mean, I, my, my business, we went virtual about a year before the pandemic. We had no reason to, I just didn't see the need anymore. The technology was there. You know, we use, I mentioned before, I'll, I'll say the product, we use teams, we use the Microsoft suite and, you know, there's, it's just, we have set up goals. We have objectives. We all have, you know, what we call tickets that we need to complete. It's all set there. And I don't know for that kind of leadership management, you know, kind of micro managing style, they wouldn't particularly like that. And perhaps they were burned by some poor employees. I'm not quite sure, but it just seems to me that it's a win-win. No, I do know some people that I know that say they don't like working home anymore. You know, it's just they get bo- you know, they get bogged down. It's the dog, it's the wife, it's the kids. I'd rather be away, you know, and uh, and then I say is it every day and goes, no, two or three times a week. So it's still a mix. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because um, you know, um we actually the last year I've been pulling together uh, um uh, a book that is really about this topic, right? It's like, what's the operating model that is going to give you the best bang for your buck, right? And um, uh, the work that we've done over the years and the and the, the, the sort of field testing that we've done just based on our own experience is it's about an accountability cycle. Mm. What does leadership look like in an accountability cycle? It is leader-led in the sense that a leader-led accountability cycle means, um, you know, you have to have, to your point, what are the expectations that you have for people who are coming into the system? And then um, how are you going to implement those uh, uh, expectations in relation to how are you going to communicate them? How are you going to... how are you going to establish a, an operating framework that allows people to meet those, you know, from an infrastructure and operating perspective? Um, you know, uh, a lot of times if you've got antiquated systems or you've got, you and I both know you're in technology. So um, security and workflow can come into conflict on more than one sure. occasion. This you know, um, and yet we also know that cloud computing and uh, ironically, you and I also know because we've been through this, that um, there was a point in time where everyone told us that cloud computing would never work because in-house infrastructure and, you know, having the server room, you know, in some sort of, uh, you know, protected place was the only mechanism that would allow you to be able to exist, right? And and now we have cloud um, networks that are highly advanced, but what a surprise, we still have to deal with security. Well, we, we had to deal with security even with brick and mortar, but now we just have to do it differently. And, and a leader led off, uh, accountability model 
requires expectations, but it also requires infrastructure. It also requires talent management practices that kind of support things. But um, there's also something else, Joe, that's really important. It, 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 it's a system that requires everybody to act um, uh, in mature and adult ways. Mm. I give you the expectation, you meet the expectation. If you don't meet the expectation, I'm going to give you a feedback that you didn't meet the expectation. And I'm also going to tell you, um, uh, you know, what I need for you to change in order for you to be successful, right? But um, as an employee, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to say, hey, um, I, I have a computer that doesn't work. I have a VPN system that's set up so that it takes me 40 minutes to get online and there's a lag. So you got to do something in order for me to meet the expectations. And so now we're holding each other accountable, right? And that means adults and adults. As an adult, I'm your leader, but you know, what's my responsibility? Um, you know, appreciate that, that it's, you got to tell me what you want, but then you got to enable me technically. Then you got to give me the skills, because, uh, you know, I mean, you're running uh, this type of organization and you know that facilitating a meeting in these environments is different. Mm. If you want to engage people, then you need to learn new meeting management techniques. And people were running crappy meetings before mm. the pandemic. So we've been to bad meetings for years and so if we're going to run virtual meetings or if we're going to run hybrid meetings where you got people out of the room and in the room, different facilitation techniques, different meeting management techniques. So you got to learn those skills. If you want engagement, you got to learn the skills. If you want to provide feedback, if you want to negotiate, if you want to do build networks and you want to be visible, you, you just got to learn the skills. So um, it's adults being adults and that's a big sea change right if if you've worked in a line of sight um if you're in the office i could keep my eye on you and still get my work mm. done and you know uh, and uh, and i solve your problems because you come to my door all the time instead you know if we're all at home you have to solve your own problem but i have to enable you to solve it. And I have to be okay with you solving it. Um, uh, because, because it has to be that way in this construct. So leader led accountability and accountability cycles and operating models in these constructs are just different. They're not better or worse because underneath people are still people and people are messy. And you and I both know that, that, Managing people, leading people is the hardest job you'll ever have. Yeah, a couple of points I want to follow up with you there. You know, one is you talked about the servers in the office. Most, you know, small businesses that start today are born in the cloud. They they have five or six apps. They buy them and they have they only need their laptop and internet connection. It's wonderful. The other point you made about um you know, how infrastructure and how things are, are, are built differently. Now I have a friend who builds houses in Seattle 
and many of the new houses don't have garages because many of the millennials don't have cars. They, they right. Uber everywhere or they lift everywhere so that there's no need. So they'd rather have bigger you know, living room or dining room because there's no need for cars. It's just a, it's just a shift. You know, you keep mentioning leader led and, and I love that. When I talk to a lot of my peers in small to medium sized businesses, there's there's a common discussion. I, I I look for your feedback here on the difference between a leader and a manager. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Uh, uh, fundamental, right? You manage tasks, you lead people, mm-hmm. and I think that that's a, you know, I mean that you can't you can get compliance by uh, forcing a situation. But it, it, you can't do that in a distributed workforce because, you know, people make choices about what they're going to work on, what they're not going to work on, those sorts of things. If you have people captive in an office, then we can do compliance because I can keep my eye on you. If you notice, it's the difference between policing a workforce versus enabling a workforce, you know, another piece of leadership. But I want you to think about this. I want you to think about, um, uh, you know, NASA. I want you to think of space travel. You know, um, <laughs> mission control, man. You know, <laughs> yes, <have> a <laughs> once you know, once those people get in a rocket and they're going up, then you can. The only way you're going to keep, you know, uh, those folks on task is by training the heck out of them and prepping them and making sure that they understand because once they're in that rocket ship and they're orbiting or they're on their way someplace, then um, it is not about you. It is about someone else. Mm. You can make suggestions, but understand that ultimately the person in the uh, actual spaceship has to operate as an independent person and and i think that this is a really good analogy because um uh folks have been going to space successfully for years there's a there is a a partnership happening there and so when you think about leaders particularly leaders in these type of um, distributed dispersed remote team models it's all about um, uh, how do I enable you? How do I um, help you be successful? How do I uh, observe performance? How do I provide you with feedback so that you know when you're on task, um, uh, when you're veering off of task? Uh, how do I um, keep in contact with you differently? How do I set you up for success? And um, uh, how do we work together to make things happen? Because you know, um, always giving people the answers is not going to be as helpful here. Just like you can't, can't take somebody into, um, space and expect them to wait for your command. What would you like me to do now? Not very practical, not very helpful. And also kind of condescending because, you know, if we're helping people to, to be the best they can be, and we're setting them up for success and we're holding them accountable, then um, now it is adults working with adults, right? It's problem solving differently. And from a leadership role, now you're growing your people. Now you're helping them be successful. Now you're holding them accountable to their behavior as opposed to um, uh, 
holding them accountable to whatever um, uh, office culture that you have um, created in your office setting. And I think that there's uh, something that's really healthy about that. And, and I also think that it's interesting too, because think about it. Um, during COVID, one of the things that we absolutely know was that um, we got to go into people's homes um, that we've many of us have worked with for years, but we've never been to their house. And suddenly we're going onto, onto video calls, be it teams or whatever. And um, uh, we're seeing their cats, their dogs, their kids, the their spouses, their art. <laughs> or lack of art, whenever. And um, so there was an intimacy. We were allowed. Mm. And so really smart um, folks who were leading teams made that okay. Mm. They reduced the stress by making that okay. So now you have to actually get to know your people differently because, you know, what's causing stress is going to be less visible unless you build the relationship because you and I both know that remote teams function on trust. And so it's, it's a big sea change. It's a big sea shift. It sounds like to me, Marianne, that when you do your, your consulting and you talk to these firms, you're really a large portion of it is on leadership and not necessarily remote. That's the irony. The mm. irony is, is that the principles can apply whether you have an in-person team or you have a, a, a team that's dispersed. Because really it's about leading an organization to meet business objectives in whatever form it needs to take. So um, uh, I wrote a book. It's actually coming out in September. It's called uh, you know, The Remote Work Handbook. And ironically, uh, anything that's in the remote work handbook is going to be applicable whether you work in an office mm. or whether you work in a, in a completely virtual, completely dispersed uh, team that has no formal office space. Because, you know, in, in our mind, leadership today um, uh, is re requiring a, a different approach and old approaches, you know, we're in addition to COVID, we've really reached a certain uh, very interesting societal inflection point. People are less tolerant of some of the things that they used to be tolerant of. So, um, you know, you, you can't get away with some of the things you used to get away with in an office setting because people are, are a little more vocal than they used to be about mm. how they feel about what you're presenting them, how you're behaving and how you're interacting with them. They're more demanding of each other than they used to be. So, um, you know, I think that regardless leadership has to do a shift. It's just going it, to, it's going to be a requirement. And, the labor market is going to have an impact on that because if people start voting with their feet, I think that that's going to be a, a big thing. And I think that those of us who are willing to accommodate uh, more flexible work schedules are going to have a market advantage, particularly in a light in a tight labor market, because people are actively seeking 
these types of um, positions in the future. So the smart ones will figure out how to do it, or um, quite frankly, they'll create their own pathways, right? To a unknown destination. To um, uh, different, I mean, uh, uh, you know, have you heard of remote nomads? Uh, no. There's a, there's a, yeah. There's a whole community um, of people, a lot of them in technology, because of the flexible flexibility of technology today. There are actually companies that instead of paying rent to an apartment building, you will pay rent to a company that runs a series of locations globally that are enabled technically to allow you to work from any place in the world. So you could move to South America, to Bali, to, you know, um, Indonesia, uh, parts of Europe, Canada, the United States, and you can stay for six months and have a workspace because instead of paying rent to a fixed apartment, you will pay a rent kind of a common fee, um, a membership fee to these organizations. And you can essentially reserve space for um, a chunk of time. And so there is a contingent, it's a relatively small one, um, but uh, that um, this is what they do. They are more interested in the flexibility. They are less interested in a fixed residence. And they are successfully creating um, brand new career pathways for themselves. Yeah, I I'm, I know people that do that, but yeah, that term I'm unfamiliar with. Yeah, remote nomads. It makes perfect sense. I mean, you know, especially if they're perhaps younger or even older, don't have young kids, you know, and just you know want to want to travel a bit. Um, it's very inviting to me. It, it sounds fantastic. Before you mentioned, um, you mentioned discipline, the kind of the theme of the podcast. People ask me how I lost all the weight and, you know, like they want some quick answer. I always say discipline. Do you consider yourself a uh, discipline, Marianne? I do consider myself disciplined because I, I have to not only um, uh, con- I, it, and it's less about control than it is manage my day, right? Mm. And manage to particular objectives and deadlines and uh, a long-term plan. What is it that we're trying to build in my companies? Um, uh, what am I obligated to complete for not only um, folks within my team, but also any clients and any um, customers or any partners that we're working with because everybody's dependent on someone else, right? Everyone, we all have obligations, whether it's um, personal obligations, professional obligations, or, or just um, uh, obligations of our role. If I'm a business owner, what's my obligation to my team, to my people, and, and also growing my company, right? And you're not going to get that if you're not operating with a plan. Mm. So we think a lot about, um, I tend to work in 12, a 12-month 12 um, sort of time frame where I'm thinking about what I want to accomplish 
And then I'm saying to myself, you know, um, 12 months is a long time, but I have not only professional obligations, but I have personal obligations and just um, uh, a variety of interests and then biological needs that have to fit into that 12 months. And so how am I going to really kind of think about how I'm going to use my minutes? I manage my minutes to make my year. And so I will very often say to myself, um, what are the specific things I need to accomplish this week? And what's the time frame? But um, do I have wiggle room? Uh, you know, do I need to do them all at once? Can I chunk it up? What other obligations do I have? And, and how do I manage those minutes in order to experience incremental progress so that by the end of the year, I can look back and, and really uh, evaluate my progress towards my end goals. So you take, when you hear discipline, you take it a full professional approach with milestones, with goals, with, you know, um, markers that you can achieve. Do you take that same approach in your personal and relationships and out of business discipline? Do you look at discipline the same way there as well? I do in the sense, certainly, um, you know, if you're a busy person, I think that you make um, considered choices. And it's you and I both know, I mean, you, you're in business as well. As a small business person, you could work 24-7 and still be behind, right? Um, uh, and, uh, and at the same time, it doesn't change that you have obligations. And we were talking earlier, your family, your children, there are requirements there. And yet, you know, you have to make a conscious effort, right, Joe? Mm -hmm. I mean, um, some of it's going to be ad hoc, you know, um, setting up workflows or setting up um, some sort of routine that will allow you to be able to have meals together in different ways, mm -hmm. making choices about leaving a note for someone um, or not leaving a note for someone. Um, but, you know, it really kind of goes back to, I have long-term goals. I happen to to really um, love my family. I want them to know I love them, but I also have an interest in advancing myself professionally. So how am I going to utilize my minutes to maximum effect so that I can balance those things? And when you're, when you're working with your clients, is there a certain level of discipline that has to be stressed and achieved by them? Is it, is it a topic that you actually discuss with them and you can kind of meter? I require um, a, a certain amount of goal setting up front mm. because anything that, that my clients are going to build, anything that um, they're going to implement – needs to be tied to something in order for them to be able to assess progress and also um, uh, discern when something is working and when it's not working, right? Because there's got to be a baseline to measure against. And so um, I will tell you that I'm not for everyone. Not everybody will want to work with me because, you know, if you're asking me to come and and you're not comfortable at least working to establish what does success look like? You know, what is a win for you? 
What are you trying to accomplish? Um, you know, what's your, your um, end roadmap? If you're not willing to tell me what your values are, right? You know, <laughs> what are your values? What are your, what are your um, tenets of leadership? Then um, how do we build something? How do we, how do we move forward from there? And so um, I don't require much from my folks. I, I tend to customize and be flexible and, and really um, work with them to tailor their solutions to what's going to be best for them. But if we don't have an end goal, what are we actually building towards? And, and how do you know what components to add to your plan in order to be able to move things forward? So you got to actually have something, even if it's just a, you know, a rough picture because, you know, um, you're going to change 50 million times. You're going to pivot a million times. You're going to adjust and iterate. And, you know, this is not um, waterfall design. It's more agile, right? Where it's like, you know, we've got a, a rough set of, we've got a rough set of requirements and okay, that's our starting point and let's iterate along the way. Right. But um, uh, design with the end in mind. That's what what um, we espouse to. We think that I think that's really important. Very well said, Marianne. Iterate and improve. And I love um, what does success look like. It's such a simple question, and I encourage. You know, my daughter's going through interviews now. You know, she graduated college, yeah. and uh, she's like, "Dad, what should I ask?" And you ask them what success looks like in this position. Let them define that for you exactly. That way you'll know if you're doing it correctly. It's such a simple question. You know, and I think it's really important um, that your daughter learn those lessons. And now it's like learning those lessons in today's context, right? And um, the plain fact is, is that um, there will be a point in time where your daughter is working for uh, an organization that has some sort of flexibility and her boss might sit in another state, could sit on another continent. Uh, and so those questions are really, really important because we're not used to verbalizing um, what the expectations are to the people that w work for us. And yet we have, we evaluate them, we judge them, we have opinions about their work performance, but if you're not verbalizing those things, if you're not sharing those things, if you're, and so um, then you're withholding information that is ultimately um, going to create friction and break down trust between you and the people that you're working with. I think young people have to advocate for themselves because they're working with folks who haven't been taught to do that a lot of times. And so going to um, the people that they're working with to say, what does success look like? What are your expectations for me? Um, what can I expect from you? Mm -hmm. um, uh, how um, uh, do you plan to set me up for success? What can I do to support that process? Because this type of work is collaboration. It's a partnership. It's a, it is, I have my role, you have your role. We need to work together to make it so. 
And um, so, Joe, I think your daughter is really, really fortunate to have you um, giving her this advice because it is hugely important for anybody coming into the workplace today. Yeah, I agree. And it's interesting, as you said that, her boss may be in another state, another country. Heck, her boss may be on another planet, you know, who, you know, the International yep. Space Station and Mars or the moon, you know, I mean, you know, science, I mean, what it changes, it moves along with technology. It's just, um, it's an exciting time. Marianne Snow, what motivates you? I um, get motivated when my folks are um, firing on all cylinders and I feel like we are working with our clients to help position them for better things in the future, that we are helping them to realize what they're hoping to achieve. And, and, you know, as corny as it sounds, Joe, it's really about every day working with folks to help them to really elevate their value and their self-confidence levels and to see the potential of um, these types of work models so that they can um, use them in ways that not only help their companies maintain relevancy, but also um, so that we're working with professionals on a daily basis so that they can build their job resistant, you know, resilience. I think it's really, really important to have a lot of resilience um, professionally, but also how are you continuing to grow? How are you continuing to learn so that you can um, maintain your job relevance um, long-term, which I think is really important. You're in technology. You, you know, the minute you stop working is the minute that you're, you are getting outdated. And I think that that's really, really important for everyone to know. And so um, the things that are my passion are that um, problem-solving piece, the continuing um, uh, to stay curious and learn piece, and to also ignite that in other people so that they are um, going to be able to achieve probably more than they anticipated um, throughout their career. Yeah, the, the, the reason why I love technology is because it changes every day. The reason that I hate technology yep. is because it changes every day. Uh, yep. So it's, it's a love and hate. How do you measure success? I measure success um, based on small wins and, uh, you know, and, and I'm measuring it against, you know, really kind of a vision long term. But I think if you're in, I think if you continue to want things out of life, then I think you have to have clarity on what it is that you're shooting for. And so um, I'm measuring success against those things um, as progress forward, as lessons learned, as meeting, you know, new friends. Um, you know, I very much believe that, um, you know, I was told many years ago by a very smart person that every person they met, they're just a, a friend that um, uh, hasn't crossed their path yet, right? So everyone, everyone's a friend we haven't met. Um, I'm not um, naive about those things or Pollyanna about those things. I'm very pragmatic and practical, 
but I choose uh, to be optimistic and uh, I will take any forward progress because forward progress is better than no progress. What a wonderful answer. Marianne, I, I was very excited uh, when you accepted this, and, and uh, I, I was really looking forward to this, and it, and it proved to be a great time. I really, it's important what you're doing there. Um, you know, as you say, the workforce is changing, and uh, you're, you're doing great work there, and I really, really appreciate your time today. How can we get in touch with you? You've got great content, LinkedIn, YouTube, Instagram, and your website. How can we get in touch with you? Marianne Snow. So uh, I, uh, if you actually Google me, Mary Ann Snow, M-A-R-I-A-N-N-E-S-N-O-W, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, the Remote Nation Institute has lots and lots of free content that is available for folks because we're a firm believer that um, we should share information to help people. Uh, we also have a consulting company called Sophia, S-O-P-H-A-Y-A.com. Um, um, come and find us. Uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn personally or come to one of our sites and my team and I can't wait to meet you. Like I say, you've got great content, great tips. I remember this one tip, one of your, uh, in one of your YouTube where you said, uh, you know, ugly sweater day. Uh, you could still do that virtually. You know, you could still wear ugly, <laughs> ugly sweaters on camera. It was a great tip. You had a lot of great tips there on that. And I really enjoyed it. Marianne, thank you so much for your time today. I look forward to one day maybe getting together and having, uh, you know, some pizza over there at Al Forno in Providence. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Joe. It's, it was my pleasure. You, <laughs> Take you care. Well. Bye now. <laughs> Thank you for listening and or viewing Joey Pinn's Discipline Conversations. Please share this episode with one or two of your friends who you think may benefit from the episode. Our website, www.joeypins.com. There you find lots of resources and you could join our mailing list. Please follow us on all our social media, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Podcast information, the video version of our podcast is on YouTube. Please subscribe. Audio is on all major podcasting platforms. Please follow them. And if you like it, please consider giving five-star rating. Would really appreciate that. Would you like to financially support the podcast? You can go to our Patreon site. Consider $5, 10 or $20 a month. There's all kind of plans that we have there. It's like a one-time payment. What is this podcast episode worth to you? $25, you be the judge. You can go to our PayPal account to do that as well. Thank you again for listening or watching Joey Pinn's Discipline Conversation.